Luke chapter 9 and verse 51. And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Set his face. And sent messengers before his face. And they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. He wanted to go to Jerusalem. Had a little bit of a communication breakdown here. They headed to a village of the Samaritans. And they did not receive him because his face, there it is again, was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they must have all been somewhat frazzled by this point. They said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? I mean, James and John, this is, you know, folks that are very close to the Lord here. These are the inner core. And they said, well, we had a logistics breakdown. Let's just call fire down from heaven, consume them. We'll just start all over again, get a new preparation team even as Elias did. But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. I want to speak this morning for a few moments in your hearing on this subject, the face of redemption. The face of of redemption. Would you bow your heads and pray, Lord, what a privilege it is to come once again into your house, a place that is designated as a place to worship you and to declare your matchless name. What a privilege it is to come together with your people and to study your word inspired by you and your spirit. We ask you, God, now that you would open our hearts and minds to receive your word and let our hearts respond to you, Lord, in a way that is profound so that our lives are changed. Our thinking has changed. Our lifestyle has changed. Homes and families are changed. Only through the power and the love of God can we hope and anticipate for these things. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. In 1993, the technology that we know as GPS, Global Positioning System, became operational. It took the United States government $12 billion and several decades to design and launch the network of 24 satellites operated by the U.S. Air Force from five ground stations across the globe. Today, GPS touches everyday life with built-in navigation in our cars and vehicles and airplanes and boats and whether you're trying to find a restaurant on a family vacation or you're hunting in the middle of nowhere or you're just fascinated to plot your location while flying Delta Airlines. A little hand-sized GPS or now even your cell phone can specify your longitude and latitude anywhere in the world within several feet. With every square yard of the Earth's surface mapped, the GPS is the ultimate clarity tool for navigation. 
The clarity that comes from these little devices does not find its source from within. The receiver is dependent on a large, sophisticated network of satellites orbiting the globe. In fact, the GPS must receive at least four signals from four satellites to fix a transcendent point of reference. As human beings searching for spiritual clarity and guidance, we must rely on a source that transcends our local, as it were, point of view. For the seeker, and I believe that all of us are seekers of God by the very fact that we are in this service this morning. For all of us as seekers, the ultimate source of clarity is God's perspective as revealed in Scripture. Only from God's Word can we accurately understand our origin, our mission, and our destiny. It's not something that will come from within. We have to link in to what God is doing in this world. We have to be receivers, as it were, of what God has put in place even from the very beginning. We're not seeking a perspective at 3,000 feet or a perspective at 30,000 feet or a perspective at three miles in the air. We are looking for an infinite vantage point from outside of time and outside of space. It is not the global positioning system. It is God's positioning system that you and I in our soul and our heart can link into and it will navigate us on this spiritual journey that we have all embarked upon. To put our journey into perspective, it is imperative that we find the path of redemption. Well, we start first of all with the redemptive rescue. Would you say with me this morning, the redemptive rescue? The ultimate context of 66 books of Scripture is found in four little chapters. The first two books in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, and the last two books in Revelation, chapters 21 and 22. Both give meaning to everything that is in between in this that we call our Holy Bible. We see everything unique in these chapters as they afford us a peek at utopia. Utopia defined as an ideal place. Only here do we see the world as God intended, in pristine condition, untainted by sin. The snapshot of life in these chapters depicts the perfect origin and the perfect destination in redemptive history. It begins in the Garden of Eden, and it ends in the city of New Jerusalem. Locations that are the utopia bookends of existence. It's no wonder that utopia is the most written about subject in human existence. The Creator's original vision 
of what you and I are supposed to experience as human beings is locked within our souls. And there's something that constantly causes us to search for that destiny that we were created to have. That's why mankind is not content with sin. Mankind is not content with the addictions of the flesh. Mankind is not content even with the affluence of this world because locked within our soul is something that is reaching for that gravitational pull. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. We are, as it were, receivers to God's positioning system that pulls us and sends messages and clues to our, our heart and our spirit and our being. And we do this and something within our heart pricks us and we say, that's not right. And we come to the house of God. Something within us drives us to that house of worship. Because within us, there is a hunger and a longing cannot be satisfied with this world. Cannot be satisfied with the addictions of the flesh. They only leave us more empty. Something within us keeps pulling us, drawing us, calling us. From the Pentateuch to the Apocalypse, we see God's desire for relationship expressed by having as it were, in the Old Testament, it defines this from the very beginning. People for his own possession. Through creation, the forms that God puts in place is this perfect place where man is able to relate and to rule with him in perfect harmony. Living in this perfect union with God, man is charged to subdue and to have dominion over all creation with this adam exercises a god-given authority to responsibly manage the world that has been placed under his care a theme that also weaves its way from the perfect garden to eternity in heaven after the fall of man, when Adam and Eve disobeys God and is expelled from the Garden of Eden, God does not give up on them. How many of you are glad that even though God had prepared a perfect destiny for you, you and I messed it up, but God did not give up? I'm glad God hasn't given up on us. I'm thankful God hadn't given up on America. I feel like God's given America a second chance. We're going to have to decide what are we going to be. Are we going to be a Christian nation? Are we going to be a people that honor God? I'm thankful that God doesn't give up easily on humanity. When you and I would give up, God doesn't give up. I'm glad he didn't give up on me. I'm glad he didn't give up on you. I'm glad he's more merciful than I can imagine. God doesn't give up. Even with Adam and Eve in the garden disobeying God, mankind is now entrusted with a new responsibility, reflecting his godlike capacity. In addition to relating and ruling, mankind is now invited to join God's work in rescuing, not just ruling, not just relating. But now, rescuing, this becomes 
the redemptive rescue. The here and now is a place of brokenness in between the bookends of utopia, the ideal place that God has prepared and the ideal place that God originated all of us in as humanity. In between those bookends of the ideal place is brokenness. Sin breaks us. Adam and Eve are broken. God intervenes. Now he begins to use his redemptive powers to bring about a reconciliation, a restoration, as it were. And he makes man a part of this whole restoring activity. And it hints, I believe, it gives us a small portal to look through so that we can see what the grand finale is going to look like. I don't believe it's very far away. Why does God leave us, his people? Though destined for glory, why does God leave us in this very unglorious world? The answer is that he wants us to experience this redemptive mission. He offers the opportunity to you and I to get dirt under our fingernails in the mind-blowing project of a universal makeover. We don't have to sit in the grandstands and observe. He makes us a part of the process. Mission becomes the link, the invitation between the perfect origin and the perfect destination. So all around our terribly imperfect planet, we see the mission breaking forth as God's rule on earth in and through his followers. Only God redeems, but mankind is his means. He allows us to partner with him in this redemptive rescue. Or as one preacher said it, men are his method. The first place that we witness the dynamic, subtle rescue is in the Hebrew narrative of Genesis chapter 3. Although Adam and Eve rebel, God makes a promise that an offspring of Eve will someday, and I quote, bruise the head of the serpent. The first reference to Christ's work on the cross is given to us in that prophecy all the way back in the beginning of Genesis. Adam then responds to this promise, and this is what's so important that I want you to get today, is that man has to respond to God's plan to be a part of God's plan. Adam responds to this promise in a very faithful and heroic act. The first act of faith is the induction of mankind into this role of rescuer. Adam names his female companion for the first time as Eve. It's Adam that names her. He names her Eve, and Eve in the Hebrew sounds like the word for life giver. By calling Eve the mother of the living, Adam expresses faith in God's promise that they, him and her, will be the trunk of a successful family tree. Sin brings death, but she's Eve, the mother of all the living. 
In other words, I believe in the prophecy and the promise of God. Most important of all, it acknowledges that the certain curse of death, though real, does not define the ultimate reality through non-existence or a hopeless eternity. Rather, it signals a new mission. In the midst of death, a new mission is given. Becoming a redemptive agent in the death-revenging work of God to restore His kingdom that you and I are a part of. Ever since Eden, the Garden of Eden, God's remnant rescuers have been at work. It started with Adam, but it worked its way all the way through history. The remnant has been as minuscule as Noah and as fragile as Abraham leaving for a land unknown. The remnant has maintained national identity through Israel whose rescue and banner was blessed to be a blessing. It then escalated under God's sovereign design to become the church. Transcendent ethnic and geographical boundaries, it moved its way as a golden thread throughout all of history into the church age where Paul pronounces this rescue and role more explicitly when he writes, therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, old things are passed away, behold all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath, watch this, reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. So with the resurrected Christ empowering the body, which is the church today, Jesus becomes the focal point in the kingdom. As it were, a holy juggernaut forging toward the perfect ending with the rally cry to make disciples and to seek and save the lost. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the mission of the church. That is what we were designed to be and that is what we do. We exalt the name of Jesus. And he uses us through the anointed word of God to preach the message that lodges in the hearts and souls of mankind. The world that do not believe the word of God cannot understand why hundreds and thousands and millions of people gather in churches all across this world. They do not understand that there is that gravitational pull on our heart and our spirit because God who designed us and created us and programmed us, if I can say it that way, he left a piece of the puzzle out, but we find it when we're in his presence. We find it when we're in his purpose. We find it when we're under the banner of the power of God. You can't find it with money. You can't find it with education. You can't find it with affluence. You can't find it with illicit relationships. You gotta find a place at an altar and be rescued by his redemptive hand. It's what every single human being Every single human being is called and designed to be a part of. 
So here we are, you and I, living between these utopias of the first two chapters in the book of Genesis and the last two chapters in the book of Revelation. For some of us, there is a clear realization that things are not as they should be. Marked by a holy discontent, humanity seeks after God. Not to be disappointed, the redemptive rescue is in place. Watch this, ladies and gentlemen. Man is not only the target of the rescue, but is a partner in the rescue. Oh, hallelujah. Long before there was interactive TV, long before there was interactive video games, long before there was the interactive nature of technology, there was a God that was interactive with his creation. He didn't just say you're going to be the object of the rescue, but you're going to be a partner in the rescue. God saves us not just for our sakes, but for the sake of our family and for the sake of our friends and for the sake of our co-workers and for the sake of our country. God saved us to be a voice of righteousness to declare the glory and the greatness of God. We are part of the divine rescue Moved to make, a re- to make a difference, the redeemed, you and I, we see a better possibility, a vision of a preferred future. As each new creature in Christ relates, rules, and rescues with God in this messy world, God reveals to him or her a better immediate future to pursue. That is, God sparks in our hearts new ideas, new aspirations, and new mental pictures, as it were, of what it can be. We begin to dream again. The light is turned on. We begin to live in high definition rather than in the gray tones of sin, rather than in the shadows of disappointment and mistakes. There's something that becomes more vivid. Every day you wake up not saying, oh God, it's another day. You wake up saying, thank the Lord for another day. This is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, hallelujah. The futility of sin is replaced with the passion of redemption. And every day you can't wait to glorify God once again. God intends for every single person to be a part of that. So that part of being a new creature is that we become passionate about the fact that Christ redeemed us. We become Committed to the fact that Christ is redeeming us even as we live this life. That we are not walking through life's trials and troubles by ourselves. That there is a wind that is at our back. That there is the holy breath of the Holy Spirit that guides us on our own. 
If your car can be guided with satellites in outer space, don't you think that a soul can be guided by the holy influence of a God that designed it and breathed life into it? Good God Almighty, I believe it's still the Holy Ghost that leads us to witness to somebody on the job. It's the Holy Ghost that still directs our path. Oh, David said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by God. I'm glad I'm linked in with God's positioning system that leads me and guides me. We're not by ourselves wandering around on this planet. We've got a God that is intimately in did you lift your hands now? I feel the Holy Ghost moving through this place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The redemptive rescue now leads us to the next step, which is the redemptive resolve. This is modeled by Jesus in his earthly ministry. In our text, we read in Luke chapter 9, verses 51 and 50 through 55, this pivotal moment. Luke, the physician, records that Jesus set his face to go toward Jerusalem. This idiom repeated twice conveys the unwavering focus of a man on a mission. In this case, a savior with a destination. The emphasis is on Jesus' redemptive resolve to reach the cross. He set his face. He wasn't on vacation. He wasn't looking to visit the holy sites of Jerusalem. He had his set face, That's, that look as it were, that I must get to what my destiny is, what my mission is. I've got to go to Jerusalem. Nothing can stop him. In fact, the surrounding passages shows us that this redemptive passion offended the worship preferences of some that were gathered there as we read in verse 53. And then even his own disciples, his core group, were still suffering from what was probably mission fatigue. They wanted to consume everybody with fire. Jesus has to remind them that our mission is to save, not to destroy. I think it would be good for the church of the 21st century to be reminded that our mission is to save, not to destroy. Who among us is without sin? You cast the first stone, and everybody has to turn away sorrowfully because all of us are lost and undone. But I'm thankful for God's blood that reaches to every single person. Our mission is not to destroy. Yes, we preach against sin. Yes, we hold up righteousness. 
But ladies and gentlemen, every single human being on this planet has the power of choice. You still get to choose what your actions are. There is no devil that can hold a gun to your head. You still have a free will. You still make a decision. But I've come to tell you today that the church is going to embody a rescue attempt. And we're going to do it with passion and resolve. It's what our mission is. It is what our mission is. It is to save, not to destroy. And this becomes the commitment that Jesus has. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. He made up his mind to go to Jerusalem. Redemption now is, as it were, programmed by God's positioning system. Well, we've prepared for you a, a great place to reach a village over here of Samaritans. It's not where the GPS is leading. I don't know if you folks are like this, but if at any point I deviate from the GPS system, my wife has a conniption fit. That's not where the GPS said to go. And I say, but the GPS is not always right. The GPS doesn't calculate in traffic, and the GPS doesn't calculate in this and that, and I make my case as best I can. And my wife gives me that look like, I've lived with you long enough to know that you are wrong more often than the computer is. <laughs> it's the look of poor fella. He will discover it on his own, and this will be an entertaining moment when he does. And so I say, I know the GPS says to go this way, but I know, watch me now, a shortcut. <laughs> I know a better way through my life experience of driving in this area. Isn't that what we do as humans? I know what the Word of God says. I know what the Spirit of God is saying because I feel convicted. But I know a better way. And we take that way sometimes. And it doesn't end up like we thought. And my wife looks at me. She doesn't say, I told you so. But she looks, I told you so. But it's just satellites and there's weather and there's all of these things that can interfere. I don't know if I, I should totally trust it. Ladies and gentlemen, if we trust our life with the global positioning system, shouldn't we trust our life with God's positioning system? I want to say this and then I got to get to the third point. I want to say this though for what it's worth. I trust in God's positioning system so much that I'm passionate about it. 
to the point where it's not just uh, me marking time, and I believe you feel the same way. This is who we are, as Paul preached uh, to the Athenians uh, on Mars Hill. In him we live and move and have our being. This is not just some side hobby. We're not just gathered here today because of some vain tradition. This is what moves us. This is what the fire in our bosom is. This is what our heartbeat is. It's souls and it's God's redemptive plan. So we've set our face to fulfill God's great commission for us as human beings. Are we in between those two utopias? Yes. But we're not alone. There is a God that is with us in the process. We're not home yet. But if we are determined, if we have redemptive resolve, I'm not going to let anything stop me. I'm going to make up my mind. I'm going to be saved. If my mama quit serving God, if my daddy, if my husband, my wife, my kids, my neighbors, my co-workers, if Aunt Betty starts going back to chewing and spitting tobacco juice. That's what I always heard my dad say. If everybody on the planet quit serving God, I made up my mind. I'm not going to turn around. Ladies and gentlemen, you got to get some redemptive resolve. It's God that saved me, and it's God that's going to get me to the other side. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He didn't start me out on this journey for me to die in the process. Good God Almighty. We're going to make it to the other side. And then that takes us to the redemptive reflection. When it came time for the Lord to be crucified, he gathered in the upper room to have a meal with his followers. And in that last supper that he would have with his disciples before the crucifixion, he says in Luke 22, verse 17, that he took the cup and he gave thanks. And he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. Verse 19 says, and he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave unto them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. This redemptive reflection was not just about remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. But also it was for us to remember what our redemptive mission is. It's to remind us of who we are and what God is doing as much as it is to remember what Jesus did for all of us and that we could not do for ourselves. Don't ever forget that when you reflect back to Calvary, don't ever forget what the face of redemption is. It's all about God restoring humanity back to the original place that he intended for mankind to be. Don't forget what your mission is. Don't forget what your purpose is in this redemptive landscape. You are to be a vital part of the process. 
by being the vessel that God uses to share the gospel. Oh, hallelujah. God never, ever made us and redeemed us for us to only be recipients. He designed us and he revived us so that we could be vessels, so that we could be conduits, that what comes into us flows out of us and reaches the world that you and I live in, the culture that you and I live in. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to be so bold today as to say that there is nothing greater under the sun that is given to humanity. There is no higher place. There is no greater gift than what God gives us. And I would also submit to you today that in God's divine plan, there's many things that you and I are enjoying in life right now that God gave us. You may not recognize his hand in it, but God was there all the time leading and guiding and giving and blessing. How many of you today could raise your hand and say, if it was not for God, I would not be here today. My Lord, a mighty cloud of witnesses. A mighty cloud of witnesses. But if you and I are going to be a vital part of that process, by being that vessel that God designed us to be, it's going to take some things. It's going to take, number one, passion. I said it's going to take passion. That's the redemptive rescue. It takes passion because there's nothing easy about it. The second thing, it's going to take determination. That's the redemptive resolve. It's not only passion, but it's determination. And then as we reflect back on this redemptive remembrance, I believe with all of my heart, it's going to take thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is more than just time of this month when we reflect back on the pilgrims and how our country was founded and started and God's blessings upon those, though that is a part of it. Ladies and gentlemen, for those of us that have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, every day ought to be a thanksgiving. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. You've been so good. I feel like we ought to express that right now. Would you stand to your feet? I think we ought to lift our hands toward heaven. And I think we ought to give thanks unto him. Lord, I'm remembering how good you've been to me. I'm remembering how much you've blessed me and kept me. I'm remembering, God, that you were there. When I didn't know what step to take, God, you were leading me and you were guiding me and you were helping me, God. I didn't see it. I didn't know it. But, Lord, you've been there the whole time. You've kept me, God. I didn't always see that unseen hand. But as I reflect back, God, I just want to say thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't give up on us. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't judge us on where we were, but you knew, God, what was in our heart. And you gave us another chance. Now, Lord, as we gather together in this house today, 
to reflect back through what you called us to do. You said for us to do this in remembrance. Before we can go forward, we have to go back. Before we can fulfill the destiny that you have designed for each of us. We got to go back in our hearts and our minds and in our spirits and pull from that legacy. That legacy of love. That you said, Lord, that we could remind ourselves of when we partake of the fruit of the vine. You said for us to do this in remembrance. So, Lord, not in an effort to fulfill some vain tradition, but, God, to jog our own memories, to remind us of what you have done in our lives and what you have called us to be. We fulfill, Lord, your commandment to your followers. And we take of this divine table. We ask God that when we do, that once again, there would be a reflection in our spirit. To say, God, you've been so good to me, I cannot fail you now. You've done so much for us, God. Our heart is overwhelmed and it's full of thanksgiving. Lord, I pray for every single individual in this house today. Though some of us may be struggling in this vast land of in between our origin and our destination. There is still a God that is directing our steps. Through your word and through your spirit. We are reminded of that. We ask you, Lord, that you would help us to make that our focus today. In the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody said amen. amen. Our ushers are going to come now and you can stay where you are in the pews. They're going to take trays and they're going to pass them out in between the pews. And there are little cups that have wafers that are on the top and they're sealed in a little plastic container. And as these trays are going in between the aisles, if you would like to join us in communion this morning, you're welcome to just take one of those cups. If you would rather not take up communion with us, you can simply pass the tray uh, on down to the person next to you. This is totally up to you. This is your choice. We understand that there is some guidance and direction, thank you, that's given to us from the Word of God, that we are not to take of the Lord's Supper frivolously or without thought or consideration. But if we look to the Word of God and we pray, and we ask God to direct, to cleanse us, to guide us. I believe that this can be a significant spiritual experience for each and every one of us. And when you receive these little um, cups, we ask that you would just hold on to them. Uh, and we'll receive communion all together. The ushers are going to be making their way uh, down in between the, the pews and passing out these trays. And we will wait till every single individual that wants to take of communion has one of these little uh, cups uh, in their hand. And then uh, we will give you instructions. There's a little plastic uh, seal that's on the top that you'll pull off first, and that will reveal the waiver, wafer. And then you can pull the rest of the top off and, and drink of the juice. And before we receive communion, we're going to ask Bishop Myers, Bishop of our church, to come and to pray over us and ask for the anointing of God upon us as we reflect back 
on that great redemption plan that Jesus Christ is still saving to the uttermost. Ladies and gentlemen, don't give up. you got loved ones that are not here today. It's not over yet. God's blood is still flowing from that hill called Golgotha. God's love is still reaching every single place, every single person. There is nothing that is too far for the grace and the love of God. Amen. The ushers now are passing out uh, these trays. We want to make sure they have them on the platform as well. Um, everybody's good on the platform. Uh, is there anyone that has not received uh, one of the cups yet? Maybe you can raise your hand and give our ushers some uh, direction. Uh, looks like Brother Sister Veely right over here. Um, is there anybody else that the tray has not come your way? If you'll just signify with an upraised hand, there's some people that are in the sound booth. We want to make sure everybody, those that are up in the video booth, everyone that is here that would like to join us in this very uh, special, significant, I believe, obedience to the Word of God and a time of reflection in our own spirits and hearts. You want to join us in that. We want you to be a part. We want you to be a part say well pastor I'm not a member of this church you love God you're a member of the body of Christ and that's good enough for us you're welcome to join us in communion is there anyone that has not received the communion cup at this point all right looks like everybody has we're gonna ask uh, Bishop Myers to come and to pray uh, over us as a church and then um, we're going to uh, give you some instructions on just peeling that little thin uh, piece of plastic off at the top and you'll find the wafer right there and then if you pull the bigger tinfoil top off the juice will be revealed and we'll receive communion together bishop would you come and pray over our church god bless you our heavenly father we love you lord this morning we thank you, Lord, for the privilege to receive communion. You have ordained it in your word. You said to do this until you come. We know that your coming is soon, Lord, and one day that we'll not do this anymore. But, Lord, we still look for your coming, and we do this to remember, Lord, the price that you paid on Calvary that we might be saved. Oh, Lord, it's not we who save ourselves, but it is you who have saved us by the shedding of your blood and by the giving of your body being broken on Calvary for us. We thank you, Jesus, for the privilege to receive communion. We ask you to bless every soul here. Oh, Lord, we ask you to let your spirit, your presence, your power, and your glory touch us, each and every one here today. We thank you for your mighty blessings. We thank you, Lord, for your love and kindness. In all things, we praise you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Praise God. Now, if you'll just peel back that little plastic piece that's on the top and take that wafer out, then peel back that tinfoil, it's a little thicker. Let's receive communion together. Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. Our heart is full of thanksgiving today, Lord. Thank you for your mercy and your love, oh God. Thank you for your mercy and your love, oh God. Where would we be without you, Jesus? Oh God, we give you honor and glory today. Thank you, Lord, for your redemptive plan. Thank you, God, for your presence that is still upon this place when we gather in your name. Thank you, Lord, that you're as close as the very mention of your name. We call upon that name today in the name of Jesus. Oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. This altar is open if you'd like to come. like to gather in the front, you're welcome to come. Oh, yes, Lord, we love you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm so blessed, Lord. We give you thanks today, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 